Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sfoga podcast. My name is Kara. Just a little announcement to let you know that this episode will actually be two episodes. It is about mental health. So sit back and enjoy or work out and enjoy or do some chores and enjoy episode one of the Sfoga podcast on mental health. So for our listeners out there, welcome back to this FOGA podcast. So Dallin, uh, there's a website that shows you the exact time so that Dallin and I start at the exact same time since we record in different houses because of COVID and trying to be safe and all that. And so, but it's, it's this white screen and this black clock and it kind of freaks me out. Yeah, it freaks. Well, and the thing is, like, I kind of like that level of precision. Like, <laughs> I'm not... angry at my Apple Watch that I have oh. on right now because it doesn't have seconds. Yes. Yes, what if that's I want to look at seconds, right? <laughs> there's no, yeah, there's not like a good way to do that. So when I see a big clock that's very, that's like spot on time wise with seconds, like, I liked it <laughs> until you, until you, um, mentioned that it was ticking away the seconds of our of our life the remaining moments of our existence are slowly passing us by i don't don't know why my head would do that and i and and i have to say i get to do a podcast with you i love doing this and so i'm spending my time well exactly well and i i always because i've had i've had these existential crises um having to do with watches and things and on the weekends i don't always wear a watch things like this but i heard a story once that um, (laughs) we're not going to cite properly and might cut out but it said that a a, a man gave his son like a family heirloom fancy watch and the note on it was not so that you can live according to the time but so that you can sometimes forget the time kind of thing it was a good story. It it was put better. And what I like, Dallin, is it seems like we're just not talking about our topic, but we actually are, and I'll tell you why. Um, I'm so down. excited for our topic today because we are going to talk about mental health. And why I feel like what we're talking about segues is because of the way we spend our time, the, me getting to have this friendship with Dallin and, and to do a thing that I enjoy and he, I hope, enjoys or he's just being very nice to me. <laughs> um, this is definitely all pieces of mental health, um, so many components. And I'm we're, here's I'm, what I'm excited and worried about, Dallin. I'm excited because this is my career and my obsession sometimes. Um, I don't want to not hear your perspective because this is not just a Kara show. Right. I was I was thinking that too because this is mm-hmm. very, very much your wheelhouse. Right? <laughs> like you're all mental health all the time and I am less so. Like even, even just like talking yep. about the inner lives of our students. Like sometimes, sometimes I'll get like, I'll mm-hmm. casually pick up in an email or something that someone is struggling yep. with mental health things. One of my students. And I'll be like, like this happened this week, and I'll be yeah. like, Kara, did you know about mental health things with this student? Because yep. this is the first I'm hearing about it, but they're talking about it like it like it's a thing. So, um, this is definitely an area that you have so much more experience. But in I for think me. it's, I will say, I think it's relative, not but, and it's relative to everybody, parents, students, 
humans, um, it it reflects how we are functioning in our relationships, in our jobs, in our school. Um, that that's that's the big core for me with the purpose of focusing on mental health. Um, I'll give my backstory. I was teaching English for ten years, and. So I think a couple things would lead me to a career in mental health. I love stories because English teacher. I love books. I love stories. And when you do therapy, it's humans and stories. Also, while I was teaching and I taught at Frederick High School, which when I started was smaller and now it's gotten big. Um, But it was so small that you began to really know the community, the families. I was having siblings and cousins and getting to know these people. And I started to care more and more and more about how they were doing as families and people and less and less and less about test scores, essays, um, school performance. Like I really got to a pretty bad place with that uh so i thought well (laughs) therapy yeah definitely do you know what has stuck with me and actually i think that you were actually hinting on this on um on our list yay on our innovative list that um that we use everything is a spectrum everything is a spectrum so you have But you have the autism spectrum, but then you also have the anxiety spectrum. You also have the depression spectrum. You also have the Mm -hmm. inattentiveness and distractedness spectrum. Like, you have social spectrums. Like, everything's on a spectrum. I so... It's just really stuck with me because Mm -hmm. rather than placing people into this category of, yes, you have this condition, or no, you entirely don't have this condition, the truth is that on... Every area of mental health, every human being is going to fall. So that is on our list. I added that this morning because I I was inspired while I was uh, taking a shower (laughs) and I went to the list and added stuff. And you there you go. And I thought this is also a place where I want to talk about it, but it's a good Dallin conversation because it's a science conversation. So bell curve. When you look especially at human behavior, it so often falls on a bell curve. So, Dallin, can we talk about the bell curve? Yeah, so absolutely. (laughs) Try it. So the middle of the so the bell curve looks like uh like a bell. (laughs) And that middle chunk is what, sixty seven percent? Okay. Yeah, it's about two thirds. And that represents A standard deviation. So the middle yep. of the bell curve is exactly average, right? So yep. that's where your exactly average person would fall, whether we're yep. talking about a mental condition yep. or whether we're just talking about something like height. Average is right there in the middle. And then about two-thirds of people will fall within mm-hmm. what's called one standard yep. deviation to either side, right? So like if the height for males in the United States is 5'10", then that and the standard mm-hmm. deviation was let's say four inches, then you would be within one standard deviation of five ten if you were anything between yep. five six and six two. Those are both about one standard deviation, and that's what we typically call yep. normal, right? If you're within one standard deviation of the mean, then that's typically what we say is 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 the yep. the regular people. That's where they fall. And then if you're outside of that one standard di- distribution 
then we're talking about something yep. that's a little bit irregular. Yep. A little and bit so what's tough is that public education is often going to be geared to accommodate the middle of the bell. Humans, however, you're going to find those folks Absolutely. that then start to go to one side or go to the other side, uh, whether it's with their learning, whether it's with their social, emotional. And what uh, the other thing to remember is that middle shifts. So what used to be normal when uh, a parent was a kid is that normal may have shifted in terms of depression, anxiety, uh, right. attention, it, it goes on and on, but that bell curve is a pretty darn good chart for how humans tend to fall. Right. And I like what you said about, um, so mm -hmm. everyone is going to fall on different yep. places on different bell curves, right? And just the, the way that we talk about that scientifically, yes. just, just, just for your edification here, is we say that everyone has a jagged profile yes. when yes. it comes oh, I like to that. normal <gasps> distributions. Oh, I like that a lot. I just think that that's fun. I love Everyone it. Everyone has a jagged profile. Uh -uh. And so that is nope. to say that no one is ever straight down the middle, right? Everyone, in fact, everyone isn't even within right. one standard deviation all the way down the middle. Yep. Everyone's going to have outliers. Everyone's going to have things. Yes. So what I want to talk about with that too, and this also I feel like coincides with your, with your science world, where we can have a good conversation. See, I thought I was so excited. Okay. So much of research done for human behavior and human things, they will use something in the research called self-reporting. Here's a problem. Humans are really, really bad self-reporters. Here's an example. A typical uh, thing that they've seen is that you will have a parent who says, I don't treat my male and female child differently. I believe that males and females are the same, and I believe that <clears throat> males and females are equal, and that there is no girls should play with dolls, boys should play with trucks, and I, they firmly, truly self-report and believe, they're not lying, they really believe I treat my male and female child the same. They want to, they intend to. Well, here come the researchers about researching. <laughs> Humans really don't have a good sense of what we really do. So here's what they found in that study. They, these nice, well-intentioned people would leave the boy in the crib to cry longer. They would go to a crying female faster. Um, they would inadvertently hand different things to a male and female child. None of this was conscientious. None of, they didn't intend for this, but it's what was happening anyway. And that can be from their own background or whatever. Ultimately, though, they were still treating male and female children differently, even when they didn't want to, but reporting that, oh, I'm so this, that, and the other. I'm so fair. And we see that with so many things with humans. So the problem with some of, if you look at research when it, when it comes to human behavior, is we don't self-report well. Like, you know, and people lie, too, um, when they do self-reporting on uh, dietary habits. That's a big one. When you actually record what a person eats versus what they say they eat, humans love to fudge things. Um, so that it's tricky to really be able to chart human behavior because of that self-reporting error. Well, yeah, 
And there's a couple of other things that I would say go into that, too. Um, yeah, so there's always going to be a, a perception difference. And in the case of gender roles, I think a lot of that can be subconscious and even go back to the parents' gender roles. Like, I was just thinking when you were telling this story, I was thinking, do you know what? Like, when we have family get-togethers or something, um, you know, on Christmas or something, and everyone's all happy and things, sometimes my dad will, like, kiss my sisters on the forehead, you know? Things like that. Yeah. Like, their, their affection is different. He would not do that to me. It'd be strange. He'd be like, did, what's wrong? It would be weird. And, right. And I think that, I mean, obviously he didn't, con like, no one consciously said this. And yet, there are things, like, there are just differences that yes. society kind of imposes on us yep. that at some point becomes so ingrained that it's not necessarily within our power to, exactly. to contemplate yep. changing anymore. Um. The other thing is that there are also just ingrained things in our psychology um, that that um, psychologists just love to kind of suss out. But but one of my favorite is that like yeah. perceptions of pain. So they found that if you put your if you put your hand in cold water for a minute, then that sucks, and you take your hand out and you say that was miserable and awful. But then they found that if you put your hand in cold water for a minute and then they up the temperature of the water to still painful, <laughs> yeah. but slightly warmer by like 10 degrees for another 30 seconds, the people that experience that will actually report as the second one being better <laughs> and less painful than the first one, even though it was right. as painful for as long and painful for longer. So, yes. like, there are some gaps in our perception that we actually can't uh -huh. change. Our brains are tuned to certain Absolutely. things and not so tuned to So I think what that ones. all kind of goes to, maybe points to, would be the idea, and you tell me if I'm going on the right path, but I would say when we start to talk about diagnosis, what do you think about that path? <laughs> so... So are you saying that maybe when you diagnose someone, you're going to kind of bring your preconceptions Combined with to the their diagnosis? Own, right. And so there's... Mm -hmm. Right. So then there's some ab ambiguity in diagnoses. So like yep. you might go to one yep. counselor and they'll say you have this. So Okay. So here we go. The, I can go... Oh, I, this is where... Cut me off if this is getting ridiculous. So this is definitely a, a, a nugget within mental health that is a huge one for me. Um, okay. Diagnosis in mental health drives me a little crazy because um, if you have a cold and you're exhibiting symptoms of sneezing, coughing, possible fever, you and I can both agree if we look at somebody with those symptoms and let's take COVID out of the equation because, you know, let's, that's a whole other layer. But let's say it's just a sort of a quote unquote normal winter and one of my students coughing, sneezing, red nose, I may use the word, wow, looks like they have a cold. Now, I don't know exactly the virus they have, but there's some accuracy there. There's this virus. I know what these symptoms look like. I've had these symptoms. You've had these symptoms. Um... The problem with mental health diagnosis, that consistency is tr just often not there. Um, there's something called the DSM, which stands for Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. 
Right now we're on the fifth version of it. It, a group of psychologists get together every, it's scheduled, and they decide what goes in and what goes out. It's not based on a set, you could take a person with a cold and find an increase in white blood cells. There's not always those physical markers for mental illness. There's some brain scan stuff sometimes with ADHD, sometimes. It's very funky. Those the, That research gets kind of shady, honestly. Um, so, and, and the whole main purpose of the DSM in the first place was for insurance. I have meanly said this is just a big insurance manual because it's huge. And I have one in my office. I always do. Um, that's annoying because when I worked in public mental health, you have to diagnose or the person's treatment will not be paid for. And not every time do you believe that the person even really quote unquote has something. So what I don't love about it is you can look through the symptoms and say, sure, that's close to depression. Sure. That's close to anxiety. However, those are also coping mechanisms, right? People could have a, or, or reactions. That's a better word too. If the state of your relationships will really, really, really uh, inform your mental health. If I see that a person, and in this case, let's say a student, those are my clients now mainly. If a student is not feeling connected in their family and not feeling connected with friendship, I'll bet you anything they are exhibiting signs of depression. That doesn't mean they have like a cold. It doesn't mean they caught depression. It doesn't mean their genetics came together and gave them depression. Do you see the trickiness? Now, may, could they have that? Sure. But if, if, if those external factors are in that place and it's kind of, it's like a recipe, then yeah, <laughs> we have a student or I've had students, not just one, many, no, not a lot of connection with family, not a lot of connection with friends and they don't get outside and move their bodies. I would predict they're depressed and guess what? They almost always are. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Kind of. <laughs> it does. So it, it sounds to me like there are kind of two problems with the huh. DSM. One is like you said, mental states are mental states are both variable yeah. and mutable. Yeah. So they change a lot. Like you can't necessarily count on the consistency yep. of a mental a mental condition like you could count on the consistency yep. of some sort of some sort of a virus. Um and then the other thing that's with the DSM is that it's not comprehensive necessarily. And this goes back to the fact that, like, so this is the fifth version of the DSM, and older versions included things mm -hmm. that we like no being longer gay. consider conditions. Like, things mm -hmm. like, like being gay yep. used to be a condition that was in the DSM. Yes. And has since been removed. Um, yeah, and then there are things like, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but does not this current version of the DSM have a very 
a, a more loose definition of addiction than previous versions of the DSM that wanted to list specific other way around or is um, it the other way now around now you would now you can have a substance use disorder and you can specify so, and they have different numbers so substance use disorder cannabis substance use disorder alcohol substance use disorder which that's fun for me because people will say oh uh, marijuana is not addictive because it doesn't have withdrawals well it does and I've seen them and they're in the DSM-5 <laughs> it, I don't know. Um, right, it, right. It's funny. I think here's another example I have. When I worked at the mental hospital, I worked at the adolescent unit of a mental hospital, and we would have a uh, adolescent come in with this set diagnosis. Well, in in a hospital setting. We are supportive. We are structured. We take away the cell phone. Um, it's different, right? So now those symptoms aren't being ex exhibited. I can't diagnose your child as having this mood disorder or being bipolar if the symptoms just magically disappear in a different setting. And that was, those were conversations that can be tough for families because when we would have a family meeting, I would have to point that out. I would say, if they truly had this underlying bipolar, if they had this underlying this, that, or the other, it would always be there. It wouldn't change because the setting changed. And that's, that's a tough discussion because what you're then pointing at is families are like machines and each person in the family is playing a part, whether they know it or not. And what you have to point out is to say, this setting, that machine is operating as such that this piece of machinery, AKA your child, in that setting is exhibiting these symptoms. But here they are not exhibiting those symptoms. So we need to talk about the machine. Does that make sense? <laughs> hmm. It does make sense. But then, so I, what that leads me to wonder though, is does that mean that, so like, let's say that they're exhibiting all the symptoms of a kind of clinical mental yep. illness in their family. Mm -hmm. And then when you remove them from the family situation, yep. they're no longer exhibiting those symptoms. But... So does that mean, do they have the mental illness for which they don't exhibit symptoms except in a specific setting? Or do they not have the mental illness and it's entirely just the Sometimes cause of the I would change the way I express it to go from this person has bipolar or borderline personality disorder instead saying this person is choosing those behaviors as... Um, essentially like a like their mechanism of of navigating the world um because the something like a personality disorder typically haven't we haven't had a lot of success in treating personality disorders as therapists there's been some some changes there which is great but that's a tough one because it's difficult it's not really something you can medicate very well um it those those folks sometimes aren't great with therapy they don't necessarily engage very well um not i mean having said that i love working actually with personality disorders but the, i mean that that can be a tough group um if you say a person has it you've got the borderline personality disorder that can be a pretty um defining fatalistic thing to say versus this person is choosing those behaviors. Let's help them choose different strategies. Does that make sense? <laughs> Kyle's 
kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But it does. It does also kind of um, elaborate this thing that you already said that the DSM five is not a black and white situation. You can have behaviors of, of uh, consistent with a certain diagnosis that aren't necess that don't necessarily mean that you can be defined Absolutely. as having the condition. The other thing. Oh my yeah, gosh. The other thing that drives area. me crazy is to, when I talk to either a student or family, so-and-so has this, so they can't do that. So-and-so has this, so they can't, I absolutely, I have this, so I can't do that, meaning a mental disorder. I hate that because the, the best thing about human brains is our neuroplasticity. Ooh, do it, Dallin. Talk about neuroplasticity. <laughs> well, neuroplasticity is just the idea that the brain can change. It can change in all sorts of different ways. Um, it was best and very um, famously elaborated in the study of these black cab London, these London black cab drivers, that they found that the spatial reasoning section of their brains were quite a bit bigger and more developed than the non-cab, the yep. non-London cab drivers just because they had had so much exposure they yep. had to memorize the whole city of london essentially yep. and that takes a lot of spatial reasoning so it goes back to this idea that you can strengthen parts of your brain that are not that are not strengthened so just because you're suffering from a certain um uh, you know just because you you right. can't handle certain things now that's not yep. necessarily something that's set in stone. That's something that yes. could potentially be changed. And here is one of those areas where, like, I don't want to overstate that. Because, like, I just, I, I think it's kind of easy to yeah. run into, like, everything's in your head. And yeah. if you can just change your mind, you'll change the world kind of thing. And, and obviously that is not so, like, there are yes. genuine actual conditions that prevent people from doing things through no fault of their own that they would love to do and they just can't. But then there are also things that people... Yes. I love that you said that, Dallin, because I don't like the idea of... Well, I, so two things. Because that was in my list for... On the list we have of power of mindset that you you could improve your neuroplasticity for different behaviors. But I, but I don't like that toxic po positivity. It's in your mind. You can, and then you're not actually dealing with the the feeling, and you're not actually dealing with what the experience the person's going through. I don't want to advocate for that because you're exactly right. Having said that, I want to make my. I feel like I'm my own research subject, which I know is not good science because I'm a I'm a sample size of one. <laughs> but because I know what I know about mindset, I was diagnosed with MS five years ago. And I, I feel like I made a decision that I, I just wasn't going, wasn't going to be a person with MS. Now, could, could you argue that there's denial there? Yep. <laughs> like, absolutely. However, because of that, because I know that I continued to, I, I like to run. I continue to run. And I continue to be active. And I just refused to go into that world. I, I don't even, I just, I refuse to align myself with the diagnosis to the point where I'm like, I'm going to run a marathon. 
because if I if I have MS, but that I'm instead focused on the marathon. And sure enough, last January, I uh, did the Disney World Marathon. And as I was cro- crossing the finish line, what was in my head? So when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed in an emergency room because I got to this place where I couldn't move my leg or my hand. And so I went in because I'm like, what's going on? And this very busy doctor said, you have white dots on your brain and spine and then walked out. Oh, he said, you have white dots in your brain and spine. You have MS. And he walked out. And I'm like, wait, what? But as I'm crossing the finish line, that's what was echoing in my head is white dots on your brain and spine. You have MS. But then I just crossed the freaking finish line of of a marathon. Like, and when I went, I finally, and then what I, the denial piece meant that I didn't get treatment basically for five years. And our boss is a very caring person who's had other friends with MS. And she's like, Kara, come on. You need to start preventing what might be coming, which is that this will, you could be degenerating down the road. Um, But sure enough, when I went to the doctor, she's like, you are in a 17% group. So talk about a bell curve. I was in an outlier group that has not had another major flare up in five years. It's not in remission, sadly. um, But I fell into a 17% group that don't have another flare up. And I don't know. I sometimes wonder, is it because I just wouldn't see myself that way? That instead I I kept working out. I kept running. I kept, I don't know, watch my nutrition, you know? Yeah. I think this is definitely, definitely one of those fraught areas where you can't necessarily assign causality, right? Like you can't, you could just have lucky genetics that kind of predispose you to being right. a little bit more resistant to those MS yeah. symptoms than someone else. Like we can't necessarily say that because you're positive, <laughs> your positive thinking did change your outcome. I would say, however, Ooh. that mm-hmm. stress suppresses immune function and it can exacerbate all sorts of different immune and yep. autoimmune um, scenarios. So it would make sense that just by yep. limiting the stress that you feel yep. about this particular diagnosis, that maybe in that way you can mitigate a lot of the symptoms. Yes. Um, just by maintaining a healthier immune system. Absolutely. Than a stress suppressed. Yep. And th- yeah, that what I focused I on. That. So actually, then this leads to can we talk about score? <laughs> yeah, what about so score? It, this is so simplistic, but I think it's a great baseline for mental health. And it would also address what we were kind of talking about or what not kind of that we were just talking about. So SCORE is this acronym that you could use if you check in with clients or students where S is how is your sleep? C is how's your consumption of food, of drugs, of electronics, of social media, of that? Um, Oh... I knew I'd do this. This always happens like if you take a minute to name all 50 states and then you forget Utah and you're like, what? Why did, yeah. Okay, so (laughs) sleep, consumption, um, oh, it's relationships and exercise. What do you think O might be? (laughs) It's totally Um, a good, I do this every time there's an acronym. It's like I panic and forget Utah. (laughs) Even though I've been to Utah. I've never been to Delaware. I never forget Delaware. Oh, I've got it on my computer. This is where we thank the gods and the universe for editing. So it's sleep. How much did you get? Consumption, screen, food, water, substances. Outdoors. Are you getting outside? Relationships and exercise. 
So though it's simple, it's a great template for really what humans, if you, if you focus on these things, it's great for your mental health. Um, your relationships make such a difference. Um, your consumption makes a big difference. Uh, are you getting outside? We are so lucky and blessed to live in Colorado. There's awesome sunshine most of the year. Um, and that sunshine makes a huge, huge difference on your mental health. Um, the sleep makes a big difference. Uh, the exercise makes a big difference. It doesn't have to be the gym. It doesn't have to be a marathon. It. I've heard of psychiatrists who say, I'm not going to medicate you until you start going outside and you start incorporating exercise regularly. Then we'll re reassess and then we'll talk about medication, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it is. It does strike me as potentially kind mm -hmm. of a what comes first scenario sometimes. Like, it may be that you're not yep. sleeping and you're not eating healthy and you're not going outside and you don't have good relationships yep. and that's causing your thing. But then sure. the correlation causation thing could become yeah. interesting too because also it could be that yep. like your condition is causing you not to do right. this or you're not yep. doing this and that's what's causing I would your, say, though, your condition. Likewise, yeah. if you're healthy, you probably right. have all of no, these No, I agree with things. you, Dallin. But here's what I would say. Even if you... So depression zaps motivation. So even if a person has depression, not keeping up with those elements is only going to exacerbate it versus, you know... Um, I, that's what I would say for that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's empowering, too, just to be able to look at this list. Because if you're suffering from something that you can't seem mm -hmm. to find the solution to, like, why don't I have enough energy and I'm sad all the time? It's like, well, do you know what? Honestly, like, if you could just make the effort not to correct your condition, but just to yep. get outside, just to go for a walk, just to try and go to bed early and not stay up all night, then that could actually go a long way toward... Um, correcting the underlying right that, thing that exactly more about. Ta and then maybe take the level from a 10 to a 7 or you know which i like and since we're talking about well we're not at all talking about therapy but i just want to i do i see it on our notes and i i want to talk about what the heck the difference is between the different people in my field okay because i i've found that a lot of if you're not in the field people really don't understand And there you have it. That was the end of mental health part A. Um, stay tuned. Keep your eyes open for part B. It's already recorded. We, I just have to finish up a little editing and then it'll be on its way. Some good information coming up. And go ahead. Don't forget to leave some feedback. If you go to the Sfoga website, look for the podcast link. Underneath it, you can find a form for a simple feedback form. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Bye.